it is good to be with you this morning. I don't know how often you stop to think about how good our God is, uh, but what a, what a great reminder to be able to do this on a weekly basis, to rest not in ourselves, but, but in our Christ and in his power and in his faithfulness and in his goodness. And so we'll be discussing that more out of Romans chapter 12. Kate, just one verse, just Romans 12, 1. I thought we were going to do all of like Romans 12 in two weeks, and I only got through one verse. I'm like, we can't go past it, so just one verse. So we'll be there in just a second. Uh-oh. Whew. Caught it. We're good. We almost dropped the mic, and then we didn't. But Sky might do that in a minute. Sky, why don't you just come on up right now? I'm just going to switch up the order of things. This is Sky Smith, for those of you that don't know Sky. And we've had the opportunity now to partner with Sky over probably the last couple of years in multiple different ways. She uh, works with uh, Embry-Riddle University here in town and also through a ministry called Chi Alpha that is honestly just one of my personal favorite ministries. I was doing college ministry in Prescott uh, alongside them and watching their college ministry, and it is unbelievable. The work that you guys do continues to just amaze me year after year. So thank you for what you're doing. And Sky's going to be going on a trip soon, what we often refer to as a missions trip. Uh, And sometimes when we hear missions trip, I think a thought I have, if I'm honest, is like, what is the actual mission of this thing? And is it for me, is it for us, or is it actually for the people wherever we're going? And so Sky will be going on a trip that does have a specific mission, and really it's kind of a scouting opportunity for your, your group here in Prescott. Can you tell us just a little bit about what you'll be doing and why? Yeah, so Andal- Landon's absolutely right. It is um, more or less a scouting trip, so Chi uh, Alpha and actually... A couple people in this room have had the opportunity to go with me um, to South Africa. Chi Alpha has a couple different countries and ministries and, man, long-term stories over the course of sometimes 10, 15, even 20 years where we've gotten to pour into one particular community or a village or one person who is already day after day doing some amazing work in Christ in that place, and we get to go partner with them and do something they cannot do for themselves. Um, and so this opportunity came up. There was already a trip going, and, and they invited me to tag along, and this is in the Philippines. Um, and there's a couple different facets to it. There is a college ministry facet. Um, there is a dump area that is technically abandoned and totally uh, coroned off by the government. Nobody's supposed to be there, um, but people live there day in and day out. Um, and then one of our main focuses is this place called The Ranch. Um, and The Ranch is part of a bigger organization called The Cure Foundation, which um, partners in in fighting basically sexual exploitation in the Philippines. The Philippines is one of the top countries in the world for that, and that's just because the abject poverty is so bad that it's just a mentality of this is just what has to be done. Um, And so a lot of these little girls are subject to that. So these are girls who have been taken and rescued out of these situations, and their cases are actually currently open. They are being prosecuted. Um, And so they are in literally an undisclosed location up in the mountains in the Philippines. So all of that um, is what I kind of get to go see and do and be a part of in the hopes that to get a visual for what maybe could college students from Prescott, Arizona at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University go and be a part of maybe not just next year, but for the next 10 years, whether it's building that ranch up, whether it's more rooms, whether it's agriculture, um, but a big focus is going to be Bible study and identity with the girls, their identity being centered in Christ. And so I'm really excited about this. Um, And you guys, whether you knew it or not, are, are a part of this and and are supporting me and going to do this and then hopefully that future mission with these students and so I'm super grateful thank you in advance for that I I 
Just genuinely, I get have the opportunity, I guess. There you go. To uh, hear about a lot of different ministries all over the world in Prescott, in our country, and I, just in 100% sincerity and honesty, what Chi Alpha does uh, is miraculous because Christ is moving through it. What you do, Sky, it is amazing. So thank you for that. Uh, I want to ask you guys to be praying for Sky specifically on this trip for the college students at Embry-Riddle and the rest of the leadership at Chi Alpha. But uh, this morning, can you just stand with me and raise a hand? I'd love to just pray over Sky. Father, I thank you for Sky, that you have made her wonderfully and brilliantly, and most of all, that you have loved her and that she loves you, and that who you are just emanates through her, God, that your love flows through Sky and is given to so many people. I pray that you increase her her leadership, her love, her gifting, because it pours out and draws people to you. I pray your grace and your mercy and peace over her, over this trip, and over Chi Alpha. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Two other announcements, just really quick. Uh, next week, for those of you that are newer with our church, if you're wanting to find out more and kind of what we're about, what our leadership looks like, we have what we call our welcome lunch. We do this every couple of months, and so this will be next Sunday. After the second service, we will provide lunch for you in the studio, and you'll get to hear from me, from Whitney possibly, I don't know, from Nate. Oh, Whitney will be there. Cool. Everybody's coming back from having babies. It's going to be exciting. So if you are interested in that, we'd love to have you with us. If you could email, though, rsvp at restorationaz.org and just let us know your name and how many will be coming with you, that'll give us enough info to provide food for you. So we'd love to have you with us. And then lastly, I've talked for the last few weeks about something called Start Here. And this is what Start Here is. It's a community, it's just a group of people that are just starting their journey of following Jesus. And so if you want to know this God that we are singing about, that we place all of our trust and our faith in and, and build our lives upon the foundation of his love, um, the peace that only he can offer, then this is the place to start. And so we're really excited for uh, that class, that community, that group to launch today. That will be during the second service. So if you haven't signed up, don't worry about it. It's starting today. So feel free. Come and talk to me after and we can get you connected. We have some extra uh, booklets and you'll get to meet Bill and, and Ty and we'll start working through that. And so we'd love to have you join us. Start here. If you're interested, just come and talk to me uh, after this, this gathering. With that said... I'm going to start my timer, and we are going to go into Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12 has just been such a powerful uh, chapter for me this year in my life, and so I wanted us to spend some time there. Like I mentioned, I thought we'd go through all of Romans, just chapter 12 in two weeks, and I started studying more, and I'm like, we're going to maybe get through one verse, so we will spend our time there. And here is kind of the reason that I think Romans 12 is so important. It's this, that Satan is very alive and is very powerful and he is constantly scheming because he hates you and he hates God. And so you kind of have this formula, Satan's really good at what he does. He hates you and he hates God. And so he's going to do whatever he can and he will do it well to keep you from God. We go through our lives and what we actually probably don't realize is that throughout every single day, Satan is literally robbing you but you probably don't even recognize it. And so Romans 12, 1 
protects us from this scheme of Satan, and we're going to spend some time talking about what exactly it is he's doing and how he's deceiving us and painting a picture of God that is totally inaccurate. And so that's what we'll be looking at. I want to go ahead and read the verse, but I'm going to read it in three different translations. Uh, the NIV, the ESV, and the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which we typically use. And the reason is because I think they all just help formulate the whole picture of the the translation process for us. So here we go first. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Next. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's the NIV. And lastly, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. So all three are similar, but there's little nuances and slight differences that I think help paint the picture here for us. The, the first thing that we have to see as we dive into this verse is the word therefore. Anytime we see therefore, that means in light of what has just been said. And in this case, Paul is referring to chapters 1 through 11 of the letter that we call Romans that he was writing to the church in Rome. So he's saying, therefore, because of what I just taught you. And then he kind of summarizes it in one word. He says, in view of or because of God's mercy. Mercy. So he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But before we can get to anything we're supposed to do, which is offer, right? We like to get to our role, our part in the story. Before we can get there, he says, here's why we're going to do anything we do. It's because of who God is. It's because of his mercy. It's because of his love. It's because of his character. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So what is this mercy? Paul's saying it's incredibly important. Really, he summarizes chapters 1 through 11 with this word and then says, now we're going to get to action. But the only reason we have action is because of this mercy. What is this mercy? How do we define it or discuss it? And I'm going to attempt to do so in a few different ways this morning. The first is through utilizing these symbols behind me that we often call the true story symbols, and we utilize these symbols to tell the story that we believe to be the true story of the world as the Bible tells it. And actually, in our Start Here class, we'll be talking about all six of them uh, later this morning, but I'm just going to talk about four. And I'm going to do it in this context, and the four we talk about, what we're going to discuss is where we see God's grace and mercy in each of the four parts of the story. And so we'll start with creation. As we talk about creation, we recognize that God created the world out of nothing, and he he breathed the breath of life into it. Everything that he made was good, and he's the reason it had life. It didn't have life until God breathed the breath of life into it. And it was good, and it was perfect, and there was relationship and purpose and creation, and it was was everything we, we ever want, everything we still want. Here's the thing, though. Think about your own life. Especially in our American culture with the American dream where we believe if we just work hard enough, if you maximize what you have, you can get there and you can become something. So we have this tendency to think that we've earned something in life. Right? You think about your home, your relationships, maybe your retirement account or funds, your identity, the things that make you you. 
you probably have a tendency to think that you've earned those. But really, if we step far enough back, I'm of the belief we've not actually earned anything. Because at the, the end of the day, or maybe the beginning of the day, when I take a deep breath, when I wake up in the morning, the first breath that I actually acknowledge, because I've been breathing the whole night without doing anything on my own, it was God who placed the lungs in my chest that allows me to breathe. And without that, I can't do anything. When I have a conversation with you before or after church this morning, it was God who created my tongue to be able to speak in language and my ears to be able to hear and a brain to be able to communicate. And so we have these conversations that lead to civilizations being built. And yeah, we had something to do with that. But who gave you the tongue and the ears and the hands to work with? Just as you walk down the street in the morning or when you leave here and you walk to your car, who gave you the legs and the feet to walk with or an equilibrium to have balance, the brain to think and process? Now, if we're being honest about it, you did do something. We've done a lot of things. You've probably done a lot of great things because that was God's intent. He said, it is good when he made you. And he said, then go and create and cultivate and do more. And so you've probably done brilliant things. Maybe it's amassed wealth and built friendships and networks and helped people around the world, all kinds of different opportunities and endeavors. But if we're honest and we step back, you could have done absolutely none of it without God's grace. We'll use grace and mercy together here, giving you life. So you go, that's humbling because we're pretty proud of ourselves if we're honest. In creation, it was good, but it is God's grace that has given you the ability to do anything in your life. You might have stewarded the gifts, the abilities, the natural skill sets he's given you well. And well done. You're supposed to. That's what he wants you to do. But you could have done none of it without him. So that brings us down a notch. Next, we move to this other symbol. We started with a down symbol. God comes down to earth to be with us to create something perfect. Next, we move to the second symbol, which is this X, which symbolizes either we could call it the fall or, or maybe more accurately said is rebellion because God made this this perfect world he places us in it there's opportunity and relationships and beauty and what we do is something like a kid who's not thankful for a toy we grab it and say thank you God but actually I don't really care it's not that good I think there's something better and God gave us that choice yeah, he, just, he just had one rule. He said, don't go eat this fruit because this fruit will give you this disease called sin. And it's going to seem like as you eat this fruit, you are going to find freedom because you will gain knowledge. But actually, that knowledge you gain is not going to lead to freedom. It's actually going to enslave you to opportunity and to selfishness, to harming others because all you can care about is yourself. And really, you can break down the story of humanity there. That's what we do. We say, my life matters more than yours. We just don't say it out loud. And we manipulate and we abuse and we oppress. Maybe not on large scales for you, maybe so. But we partake in injustices and in harming others because at the end of the day, if we're honest, we are who matters to us. That's what sin does. That's this disease and it is devastating. And here's where we see God's mercy. We rebelled. He gave a perfect plan. We walked away. And what does God do? He doesn't say forget you. All right, you made your cake, eat it. You're on your own now, which would be hell, right? 
to be fully away from the God that actually suppresses sin. He does not let it get out of control. He's still involved. If it wasn't, it would be absolute death and decay and destruction and chaos. But he's involved in this picture. And so by his mercy, he says, you have rebelled, but my love is greater than your rebellion. You have chosen to walk away from me, but I have chosen to pursue you, and I am going to show you my character and love, and you will return. Is that by our effort or good works? No. He made everything that is good. We walked away from it, and then his mercy and his love come through again. What we deserve is the total absence of God. We're the ones that walked away from him. But he doesn't let that happen. We move on to the next symbol, which is the cross, and it's redemption. And there's different ways, many, to discuss, and we could spend forever just discussing redemption. But here's what happened. Our world is a mess. It's infected with this disease called sin. People treat people as less than people. It's ugly. We all know that and have experienced this brokenness. Yet there's this God who hears our cries, and he hears the cries of his people. And so what he does is he sends his only son, Jesus, in the form of a man. Jesus leaves his throne as the one true divine God of the universe who is perfect. And he says, I will take on their form to be like them. He lives a perfect life. He says, this is actually what it was supposed to be like. Here's how to treat people. Here's how to take care of the world. Here's how to cultivate. And then he goes, and then I'm going to make a trade. You walked away from God, but I'm going to take that place for you. You entered sin and violence and abuse, but I'm going to take that upon myself. And he goes on this cross, and as he gives up his life freely of his own will on this cross, sin enters him. And he takes this disease called sin and he takes it to the grave, yet he rises three days later with the cure for this sin as he is victorious over Satan, over sin, and over death. And so what we often tend to think about here as we talk about redemption is this, yay, we get to go to heaven. The bad is gone. The sin has been wiped away. The blood's washed it away and now we're clean. But more than that has happened Jerry Bridges puts it this way. He says this, It wasn't enough for us to have a clean but empty ledger sheet, meaning no more sin because Jesus paid that price for us. God also credits us with the perfect righteousness of Christ so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This happens the same way Jesus was made to be sin, by transfer. Just as God charged our sin to Christ, So he credits the perfect obedience of Jesus to all who trust in him. And what is often called the great or blessed exchange, God exchanges our sin for Christ's righteousness. As a result, all who have trusted in Christ as Savior stand before God, not with a clean but empty ledger, but one filled with the very righteousness of Christ. Here's what Romans 12.1 says about this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, this part's important. Paul is not saying offer a sacrifice and make sure that it will be holy and pleasing to God. Do the right things, put in the work, make sure it's nice and wrapped well so that it's holy and pleasing to God. Don't give him something that's not holy and pleasing. That's not what Paul is saying. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He is saying it will, in fact, be holy and pleasing to God. 
And so that begs this question, how in the world, because you know you, I don't know you, but you know you, I know me, how in the world can our lives be offered as something that is holy, something that is pleasing to God? My, my community right now is theoretically reading through uh, the book of Leviticus. I'm not sure how far we are. I'm a little behind, but I'm in Leviticus. And as I'm reading Leviticus, there's this pattern. Because it's talking about the sacrificial system and God's good plan for Israel. A way of life in the midst of cultures that had no organization and order. It was chaos. And God says, here's actually order for you. So we read it and we go, why does he have all these rules? It's scary. Well, Leviticus is actually freedom. Because he says, here's my expectation for you. While the rest of the the nations in the world make sacrifices of their children because they don't know what will appease the God. God goes, here's clarity. Here's what I expect and want in the good life. But through that process, there's this sacrificial system. And what God requires is an unblemished sacrifice, meaning something that is perfect. It has no mark. It has no issue. It has no concern. It is as it was meant to be. It's perfect. And so that's what Paul is referring to here. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that will be holy and pleasing to God. Isn't that how you wake up in the morning? You just pop out of bed and you go, you know what? I am holy. Yeah. Before that, it's ugly for me. And there's no doubt I will be pleasing to God because look at me and how I act and what I do. Is that not how you feel when you wake up, holy and pleasing to God? Of course, Paul's saying that's going to be our identity. We will be holy and pleasing to God. Here's the thing. That is not possible because we know our own brokenness and how we treat people. The only way this is possible is because it's Christ's righteousness in you. There's this great exchange. Martin Luther puts it this way. He says, faith unites the soul with Christ as a spouse unites with her husband. Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. Everything which the soul has becomes the property of the Christ. Christ possesses all blessings and eternal life. They are thenceforward. I thought that was an error at first. I'm like, what in the world is that word? The property of the soul. The soul has all the iniquities and sins. They become, thenceforward, the property of Christ. It is then that a blessed exchange commences. So Paul is saying, when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, it will be holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because in the beginning, when God created, we have a down arrow. God said, you are good. He made you brilliantly. You are good. And then we messed it up royally in rebellion, But then he comes back and he saves. He says, this is your identity now as my son or my daughter. And you are as righteous as Christ because this exchange has occurred. Now that is grace and mercy. And so you start to see the theme, we've earned nothing. Actually, what we have earned by his mercy we don't get, which is to be separated from him forever. We move on to restoration, our last symbol. Again, it's this down arrow that Jesus will return and one day he will reign as king here on earth. And that's where we'll live. There will still be jobs and businesses and art and music and relationships and love and everything that is good. There will still be culture. A lot of the things we're doing now, except it will be perfect and absent of selfishness. Because this disease called sin that causes selfishness in us to treat people as less than people will be 
dead. And Jesus will reign as king. It's the restoration of all things. It's what our, our church is named after. It's the hope that we have in Christ, the only one that can provide this. And so we look forward to that one day. And again, that is his grace and his mercy. Here's a different way to think about his mercy, because we're talking about mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, then we'll get to what we do later, but we have to understand mercy. Another way to, to view the scriptures is the, to view it, to see it as God's self-portrait. He says, here you go. The most important thing in your life is your concept of me. So I'm going to give you a self-portrait uh, of me. I want to read uh, a few verses to you that paint this picture. The first is out of 2 Corinthians. This is where we see that, that God is the God of all comfort. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from our God. We see that he's the God of all grace in 1 Peter 5. We read this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care on him because he cares about you. Be sober. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brothers in the world. Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little. The dominion where he will be king, the place where he will be king, belongs to him forever. Amen. He's the God of all hope. We see this in Romans 15. Or the God of all peace. That works too. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen. I messed up my notes apparently. The God of our salvation in Psalm 65. You answer us in righteousness with awe-inspiring works. God of our salvation the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the distant seas. You establish the mountains by your power, robed with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the tumult, the tumult of the nations. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. And lastly, God is love. First John tells us this. Dear friends, let us love one another. Not because we're good enough ourselves, but because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love has revealed, was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent the Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Here's a few more examples of mercy. We've looked at the story. We've looked at his character. What about in just the everyday stuff of life? My sister has me on this little workout thing, and I'm trying not to die while doing it. It's terrible. I hate working out. It's the worst. It's painful. But as I'm doing this terrible leg workout on Friday and limping today still, I'm reminded that I have a body that works. 
that functions, that moves. And so that's something you don't think about until it's gone. When I was on crutches a couple of months ago, like I don't think about the fact that I can run and jump until it's taken. And so you recognize I'm really not in control of that much. But God has given graciously and protected mercifully. Or maybe we walk to the mailbox and you open it up and you pull out the mail and you're like, oh my gosh. There are so many bills to be paid, and it's stressful, and you go, how is this going to work? Do we have enough? How are we going to deal with it? And then I think about Nate, who just moved here like two days ago, and he doesn't even have his utilities set up in his house, right? There's no water, electricity. You have water, but not from the city, right? We take these things for granted. If I get, if I get bills, you know what that means? Of all the places in the world, I go to a sink and I turn it on and water comes out. And when I smell after my workout, I turn on the shower and I can go clean up. And then I have towels and we have heat and I can turn a light on at night to read. Like that's God's mercy and grace. You know what it comes from actually, Genesis 1 and 2, when he said, I've made you well, go out and cultivate. Humanity's done well with what God has given, but it's his grace and mercy. I think about my three crazy, chaotic, beautiful Wonderful, stressful, slightly anxiety-stirring children. You know, there's moments where I go, oh, my gosh. I don't know what to do with them. And then I stop and I think, like, there's these little people. And they're actually little people. Like, with a soul and a brain and their own person that God himself knit together in my wife Chelsea's womb. And I go, like, little Ellis has a personality, and he loves to sing. And it's hilarious. And Aaliyah has her own things, and Sienna has her, and it's just amazing. And I go, you know what, sometimes it's crazy, and I'm a little tired, but I've got these gifts. Where do they, did I design them? No. God did. What a gift. Like, is that the perspective we have? Are we... Having God's grace and mercy in view? Or you have a messy house. That means you got kids or a dog or something. Or just you. <laughs> Therefore, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How do we keep God's mercy in view, in front of us, so we're seeing it? I think it's something we have to, to marinate in frequently to stay in it, to soak in it, until wherever you're going to work, to your relationships, to your house, to your home, to whatever it is you're going to do, wherever you're going to do it, the aroma of God's mercy goes before you. You know those people, that they just have this peace that doesn't make sense, because you might look at their life and go, You've had, you, you, you drew the, the short end of the stick, there's some hard things going on. Yet they have peace and contentment and joy in these things that go beyond circumstances. And the aroma of God's mercy and grace goes with them. That's the only explanation. We have to soak in it and marinate in it. Part of it, I think, is changing perspective. Often we don't embrace a grateful attitude until we've had things taken away. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thought you have? Think about it for a second. I'll stop talking for like 
15 seconds? What's the first thought you had this morning? Or typically, what's the pattern? For Kate and I, it's that we need some coffee right now. And our spouses are probably like, let me bring it to you. What about at night when you lay your head on your pillow? What's the last thought? If I'm honest, here's what it is for me a good amount of the time. I'm not going to say always. I'm slightly better than that. I look at my phone and I look at my calendar and I think about my to-do list. I've got a lot of things to achieve and accomplish and get done. And I worry about me. Do I have God's mercy in view in that moment? See, my habit is to have a Landon-centered world and view. It's not one centered with my perspective focused in on God's grace and mercy. I don't know about you, but I could probably guess. We have to practice keeping God's mercy in view. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's holy and pleasing not because of you, but because of Christ. This is your true and proper worship. I urge you to offer your bodies. Now, we hear that and we think physical body, but the Hebrew idea of body is your everything. We compartmentalize, and I've got my physical, my relational, my spiritual, my emotional, my hobby time, my work time, all of this. And it's compartmentalized, and it's really unhealthy for us because we're just whole beings. And that's what Paul means here when he says your body. Offer all of who you are. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. All of you. Is that what we do? Sometimes I think we go, Jesus, I don't think you're ready for all of me. Actually, Jesus, you know what? I think some of me, especially this thing, I think it's better off in my hands than it is in your hands. See, if we're honest with ourselves, at the end of the day, we trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus. I love this quote I read this week that that talks about how crazy that is. Halfway commitment is irrational. To decide to give part of your life to God and keep other parts for yourself. To say everything is yours, Lord, but this relationship, this deal, and this pleasure is beyond spiritual logic. It doesn't make sense to go, my life is better in my hands than God's. Because we are all really good at messing life up. Yet he's the creator the Savior, and the Sustainer. It's His grace and mercy that are good. So what of your body, meaning all of you, are you holding on to? Are you keeping from Jesus? It's probably the thing you fight for the most. You protect the fiercest. You think about, maybe you pray about, What are you not willing to give to him? What do you trust more in your own hands than in the hands of the Christ? Is it your time for achievement? Your space for comfort and security? Your finances or influence for power and control? Your relationships? your identity, 
What is it that you hold on to the most? What's that thing that you go, I don't really trust you with this, Jesus. I'm going to hang on to it pretty tight. You protect it. You fight for it. Your stuff or pleasure. Whatever that thing is, that's probably what you have to start with giving. It's probably the entry point. Because the rest will follow suit. If I go, Jesus, this is what, what is the hardest for me to give, but your hands, my life in your hands is way better off than in mine. The rest will follow. That's probably where to start. Whatever is the hardest that you hold on to the most, that's what I would start giving to him. Giving away. Because then you're actually free in Christ versus enslaved to thinking you're capable. That your effort is enough. Which leads us as we close to what I started with. Satan's scheme. Satan's robbing you every day. Every single day. He's stealing. And you don't even know it. And here's how he's doing it. Because God's mercy and grace are abundant and never ending and offered to you freely. And so here I am and I'm looking at God's grace and mercy over there. It's right there. It's easy to see if you just try. It's almost like this. Every morning I have to put on my contacts or my glasses, right? And it's natural to do so. I do so because I know my vision is slightly distorted. I can still see without them, but I know it's not right. And so it's a no-brainer. I know that, so I'm going to want to see better. I want to fix it. But we don't do that with our spiritual vision. We don't see life through the lens that God has called us to. We don't actually believe that our vision, our spiritual vision, has been distorted. But in the same way, we have this routine. I do. And you have your own routines to see differently every morning because I want to see what is right and true and good and pure. We need to do that with life. Because Satan gives you a different pair of contacts or glasses. And what is in view is not God's mercy. What is in view is not God's love and faithfulness. What he puts in view for us, many of us, and we are slaves to it. Often in the name of Jesus or in the, the lane of spirituality or religion is do good. Do enough. There's this show called The Good Place, maybe some of you have seen, and it's really funny because it mocks Christianity or a lot of different religions, I guess, to, to different degrees by, by doing what we actually believe, I think, oftentimes. The, the premise is you can get to the good place if you do enough good that outweighs the bad, and you go to the bad place, hell, if the bad outweighs the good. How many of you actually operate with that mentality? It is so natural. It's so natural if something bad happens in life even slightly bad or maybe majorly bad, and you go, oh, I should have been praying more. Or maybe I should have been reading the Bible, Leviticus, <laughs> or whatever it is. Do you do that? Do you ever think when something bad happens, if only I had done this spiritual thing, some more good? Or maybe if you want something good to happen, oh, I'm going to serve God this week. I'm going to be extra, whatever it is. That's our way of thinking. That's what we're taught. That's our culture. If you put your mind to it and your heart and you dive in, you can create. You can make something of yourself. And so we think we can get to God and his love by our own effort. And so here's what Satan is doing. Here's his view, our view of God's mercy and grace. It's out there and Satan puts a huge object in between us and God's mercy. And that object is your own efforts. And you dive into this pool of effort and you swim in it for the rest of your life and you never get anywhere because Jesus has said, I already paid the price. I love you. You don't have anything to prove. 
Like, what, what more value is there than the creator of all the universe giving up his life for you? You can't achieve anything more than that. And he promises hope and faithfulness and goodness eternally, the restoration of all things. Yet we jump into this pool of achievement and effort and spirituality to be good enough to get there, wherever there is, because we think we can. Satan is good at what he does. See, here's how it plays out. We read Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Maybe you heard it this way this morning the first time I read it. Because Satan's schemes are good and he's powerful. And what you heard is, I need to offer my body as a living sacrifice. And that's what we focus in on is our role. And what we actually need to focus in on is what is on either side of offering your body as a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you. Notice this isn't a suggestion. Paul's not urging them as in, hey, this might be a good idea. Think about it. Maybe try this out once. No, he's urging them, and he's not urging them to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice so they can do good. He's saying, I urge you, I'm pleading with you, please understand this. In view of God's mercy, you are holy and pleasing to God. You don't have to do anything. That's just who you are because of what he has done. And because of that, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Who was the main character when you heard this verse the first time? Was it you offering your body? Was it that you're holy and pleasing because of Christ, you have God's mercy in view? See, what we often do is we have this, this present, and it's gift-wrapped really nice. It's perfect. It's flawless how we put it together. It's our bodies as a living sacrifice, all of our good stuff. And we go, hey, God, here you go. And we give this, this gift, and on top there's this letter. And you know what it says? It says, please. Please make a donation. Please help me out, God. Please don't let this happen. God, I would really like it if this could go my way. So I'm going to do this good stuff. Please help me. If that's the mentality, which it is for so many of us, it's natural. Sin is still here until Jesus returns, and it blinds us. We have distorted spiritual vision. So we need to practice seeing with new eyes, keeping God's mercy in view. That's Satan's scheme. He's robbing you of the love and the peace and the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. But what Paul is saying is this. Here's my gift. It's a box. And it's broken and it's ugly. It's got holes in it and a history and some stains. And it might smell a little bit bad. But here you go, God. It's what I have to give. I'm going to give it all to you. The mess, the stains, the brokenness, the good. The good's there too. And on top there's a letter. And you know what the letter says? Thank you. Because we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice not to get anything in return. You've already been given everything. Just to say, you are good and I follow you. And thank you for your grace, for your love, and for your mercy. I heard a story once from a friend. I said he went on this missions trip to a, another country. And eventually some of the people from that country came back to his house. And when they did, somebody stole, he was a contractor, so a, a faucet that he had, thinking there would be water in it, because he came here and there's water, and he thought the water just came from the faucet. We don't need plumbing and water lines, etc. But there's no water in that faucet when he got home, right? 
Here's the thing, though. God's mercies, his goodness, it runs like the faucet of my house. All you have to do is go, lift it up, and it pours out. Every time. His mercies never end. That flow of water will not run dry. It continues in the deepest, darkest, most brutal moments. But what we need is a change of perspective which takes practice because Satan is robbing you. Know this, in the hardest things, there is mercy from God in it, and he is coming again. So do not do good and say, God, now please do something for me. That's buying into Satan's lie. We're good at that in church. I rather say, here is my body, here is my everything, here is my life. Thank you. Let's practice that this week. Next week we'll talk about some more practical components of what this looks like. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. Thank you for your love that surpasses all understanding, for your grace and your mercy in creation, your mercy though we rebelled, that your love is greater than our rebellion, for your love on the cross, for taking on our sin and giving us your righteousness, for accepting us, for calling us your children, that we are who you say we are, that your grace truly is enough. And that you are coming again. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to what is true and good and protect us from Satan's lies and distortion. Give us eyes to see your mercy. May we keep your mercy in view this week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>